Blog Talk Radio. edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and if you run over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you'll see the title of today's show, Swamp Draining 101, inspired by a little expose article that the New York Times published about Corey Lewandowski, who had been, or actually is still an advisor to Donald Trump and all of his various crony connections. So we're going to talk about, you know, Donald Trump's promise to drain the swamp, what it would really take to drain the swamp, and is Donald Trump even capable of doing the things that are necessary to drain the swamp. So if you go over to the blog, like I said, don'tletitgo.com is the place to check out the program notes. You'll see links to all the stories and things that I'm going to refer to during the show today. I've got a little collection of miscellany talking about also, you know, in terms of the swamp, if we don't drain the swamp, what does it lead to? You could take a look at what's going on in Venezuela briefly if you think you can stomach that. So if you want to call in, the number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And today I'm actually go a little bit short because I have an appointment that I've got to make in connection with preparation for something that I've got going on in the program notes As you see, if you go to the program notes, the first link that I've got for you there is my Instagram. I'm continuing to publish photos from Copenhagen, a bunch of art. So if you want to see some beautiful, mostly sculpture, I've only got a couple pictures of of paintings that I've posted. I don't think I really have much more in the way of, you know, two-dimensional art. So if you like sculpture, bas-relief, different three-dimensional follow me over on Instagram or just go take a peek every so often. I'll keep posting. I've got some Torvaldson sculpture yet to post. So, and of course you can check out everything that I've got there. Stefan Sindig is the one that I was really focusing on. I've got a book coming today. That's a biography uh, and actually an autobiography of Stefan Sindig. And it says it's multilingual. I'm hoping one of the languages is English. If not, I'm going to need some help, but I am looking forward to, learning more about him as I, as I really loved his sculpture in Copenhagen. So that was the first link, Instagram, check it out. Second, 
is The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton. This is a newer show on Fox. It's on Sunday evenings, and I've been asked to appear on that show this Sunday, and it airs at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Time. It may also end up re-airing it other times after that, but the live airing is at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and I'm going to be one of three members of a panel. I don't yet know the topic or topics that I'm supposed to be discussing, and I'm waiting eagerly so that I can start obsessing about such things. Yeah, I keep thinking back to my dog agility days when I think about performing in a context like this, and when we were given a course that we were going to have to run, and if we were given extra time to learn the course, we would just spend as much time as the judge would give us to walk through that course and memorize and then run it at full speed and then walk it slow again and plan our little thing. And I'm, you know, I keep checking my email. Where's the topic? Where's the topic? I might even ping them and say, please give me a topic to obsess about between now and Sunday. So I can just spend 24 hours a day thinking about it. But anyway, I'm looking forward to it. It's a different format than what you saw on uh, with Tucker Carlson, they do a panel and then the panel stays on for most of the show and has a big conversation. So in some ways I like that because you're not sitting in a studio where you cannot see the person to whom you're talking. That's how I was with Tucker. I couldn't see him. I was looking at a monitor of myself. So sometimes if I was collecting my thoughts, I would just basically do what I'm doing here with you now, which is I'm not looking at you. I'm just, thinking so I can look in whatever direction I want. I don't have to worry about it. If you're on camera with Tucker, I sh- you know, you really, I should spend more time looking at the camera, AKA looking at Tucker, but there it's going to be a studio, real people that I'm going to be talking to in person. So I, I like that quite a bit. It's more like a real conversation. So I'm looking forward to it. I will keep you posted as soon as I know the topic and should be fun. Uh, But yeah, after I'm done here, I'm going to go prepare for that. What I have about this topic today, you know, I don't think I have a whole lot to say about it, but I, I think it's important to say it because here's this piece from the New York Times, right? He says, and the headline is, actually it was, let me see if it stayed. Yeah, sometimes the, the headlines are morphed by the New York Times throughout the day. They put an initial headline and they switch it on you. But the headline is, Trump loyalist mixes business and access at quote-unquote advisory firm. And what it talks about is this Corey Lewandowski who was coming under a lot of pressure because he was in a Washington lobbying firm where, in effect, he's selling access to Trump to get some sort of favors from government. And so he went ahead and quit that. And he started a new consulting business. It's called consulting, you know, not lobbyists, but consulting business. And he is also at the same time an unofficial White House advisor. And so this whole article basically chronicles the evidence that Lewandowski is still, you know, notwithstanding having left a lobbying firm and now being in a consulting business, he is still in effect selling access to Trump because He has Trump's ear. He's one of the so-called kitchen cabinet of Donald Trump. And moreover, you can actually see Lewandowski on all of the talking head shows actually using his time on air 
to say, I think Trump should do this and I think Trump should do that, right? So he's selling access. New York Times is happy to chronicle all of this cronyism and corruption. And it really is, you know, I mean, this is what you say, okay, well, you can't be a lobbyist and then also have access to the president. Okay, fine. Everyone puts pressure on him. He leaves a lobbying firm and now he's a consulting firm. So it comes up as a new species of, as I'm calling them, flora and fauna in the swamp, the so-called swamp that Trump has promised to drain. Yeah, we have this new species here. It's this consultant who says he's not lobbying, uh, you know, the contract, they have a draft contract that they obtain somehow, unethically, probably. The draft contract says that Lewandowski's firm, quote, cannot and will not engage in any lobbying or advocacy services, end quote. And yet the time shows that he's gone on the talking head shows, making explicit policy advice to Trump that would benefit one of the clients that the firm that he's engaged with, you know, is, is a, they have a client that, you know, his, the thing that he's advocating is in line with. So he is engaging in those services, but maybe he's doing it indirectly through television. Who knows? Right. So the New York times goes through all this and is basically saying, yeah, it's corruption, corruption, corruption. And, you know, I've got a link later in the program notes to Justin Amash and Amash talks about the fact that, yeah, you know, when the Democrats are in office, the Republicans claim, you know, complain about this stuff. When the Republicans are office and the Republicans are also in power in Congress, then there's less scrutiny of corruption by that party. And Amash is complaining about that. But, you know, the the Democrats complain about the Republicans, the Republicans complain about about the Democrats. What you don't see anywhere in the New York Times, at least, but you would see from Amash, you don't see it from the New York Times, is a call to reduce the power of government that generates the possibility of this sort of corruption or cronyism in the first place. If you go through the article and I, you know, as I went through, I was reading the first several paragraphs. I did not read the whole thing carefully. It's just all of a bunch of evidence that Lewandowski is using his influence to help the clients who are paying him money at his new firm, even though it's not called lobbying. And of course it's even in some ways, the New York times, is pointing out worse because the new type of firm that he's in, because it's not a lobbying firm, they're not required to disclose the client roster and stuff. So whatever you see Lewandowski out there doing on the talking head shows or whatever conversation he might be having with Trump, it's harder to track down how that might be related to the clients he has because they say, look, we're not a lobbying firm. So it's just a new avenue for corruption. As I said, it's a new new kid on the block of the flora and fauna of the swamp. And so then the question is, what would you do if you were really going to drain the swamp? If Trump really wanted to make good on the promise to drain the swamp, what would he do? And is it something that the New York Times would even want, right? Here's the New York Times chronicling in great detail Lewandowski's activities on television, the things he's been advocating for, who the clients and everything, you know, they're digging all of this up. It's all this investigative journalism. It's great reporting and everything. I didn't actually see the story reported anywhere else. This is, I think, unique to New York Times. 
And, uh, you know, what's, what's the solution? Do they ever give the solution that the, what the actual real solution of this is? No, I don't think they do. So that's what we want to talk about today. What would you really need to do to drain the swamp? And then as a secondary question, could Donald Trump even be capable of it? Right. That's the main thing. And if you go back, if you've ever read, he has a little monograph, had a little monograph called The Law. You probably remember, as I do, how eloquent Bastiat was about the connection between the power of government to pick winners and losers in an economy and the amount of cronyism and corruption that you would see among the politicians. And what I've got here, this is a poor substitute for actually having gone through the law again and picked out my absolute favorite quotations. I don't have that, but what I do have is a selection of very good quotations from Goodreads. Maybe if I went through the law myself again, I'd pick out something that was just a little bit more on the nose of exactly what I want, but there's some really good stuff here. And I ended up excerpting one of them and putting it over on my Facebook. Um, And it talks about government departing from its proper function of protecting individual rights, and in particular, protecting the right of property. And that's the great thing about Bastiat. Bastiat was talking not just about life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. He also talked about the right to property. And here's the quotation I pulled out of all of these excellent ones earlier. The link to these, by the way, you can find in the program notes. Bastiat writes, as long as it is admitted that the law may be diverted from its true purpose, that it may violate property instead of protecting it, then everyone will want to participate in making the law either to protect himself against plunder or to use it for plunder. So he's saying as long as it exists, this power of government to use force, because this is, you know, every time the government is intervening in the economy to do anything, you can think it's the noblest and best, most awesome thing in the world. The government is using force. It is in effect pointing a gun at somebody towards some end. Whenever it's doing this in order to pick winners and losers in an economy, i.e. to tell people how they may exercise their rights to property or, or liberty, you know, to use their labor in certain ways, anything else. Whenever they do that, they are inviting people who are going to want to have control over the law, right? So you're going to have corruption of lawmakers themselves, maybe bribing them. You're going to have a lot of people engaging in lobbying because everybody wants to make sure that the government gun is pointing in some way that's going to at least not hurt them and potentially even benefit them. And then, you know, what? once this happens, right, it starts to get pretty murky in terms of how much you blame people for their conduct in that environment, right? Once you introduce this principle that government may in effect commit a crime on your behalf, right? May forcibly tell people how to exercise their rights, initiate force against people as opposed to simply, you know, retaliate against criminals. Once government can initiate force, 
then everybody's going to want to make sure that they have a say about how the government's going to go about doing this. And that's where you get the cronyism and the corruption. It's so sad, you know, when they talk about freedom indices of countries all around the world, you know, you can look at this and decide, where do I want to move to? Where would it be more free? Where would life be better for me? Perhaps you look at these indices and part of them, a big part of them is all about corruption. How corrupt is the government? And what Bastiat explained so eloquently is that that corruption is always going to exist as long as the government has the power to violate rights. If it's not protecting rights and instead it's violating rights, then you're always going to be inviting this type of corruption. But you don't hear anything in the New York Times about that. And in fact, I've got also in the program notes, if, again, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. In fact, what you hear from the New York Times, if anybody dares to question government power in a certain realm, then suddenly they're racist. And the example that I have for you is an op-ed that the New York Times published the other day where they're trying to pin on the people who criticize what is properly called government schools. Those of us who believe in abolishing all government involvement in education, those of us who believe in a free market in education, if we're going to talk about schools that are financed by government that are regulated and governed and you know controlled by government we're going to call them government schools we're not going to call them public schools public doesn't tell you really the nature of what's going on here what you have is you have government engaging in education and you know there there's actually in the set of quotations that I have from you know that I linked to it from Bastiat he talks about education as one of the things and he does it very eloquently you know, just to give you an idea, he says, you say there are persons who lack education and you turn to the law. But the law is not in itself a torch of learning which shines its light abroad. The law extends over a society where some persons have knowledge and others do not, where some citizens need to learn and others can teach. In this matter of education, the law has only two alternatives. It can Permit this transaction of teaching and learning to operate freely and without the use of force, or it can force human wills in this matter by taking some of them, taking from some of them enough to pay the teachers who were appointed by the government to instruct others without charge. But in the second case, the law commits legal plunder by violating liberty and property, end quote. So he's telling you exactly what they're doing. And what the New York Times would say to Bastiat for daring to criticize government involvement in school and to use that term government schools, which is a term that is properly used by those of us who criticize the involvement of government in education, they'd say he's a racist. And in fact, if you look at that piece, they're trying to smear you if you are, like me, an abolitionist with respect to government education. They're trying to smear you as a racist. Maybe you want to bring back segregation. Maybe even you want to bring back slavery. You are guilty by association because there were some racists in the past to use the term government schools. 
It's a total non sequitur. It's a total smear. This is the type of thing that the New York Times publishes when somebody dares to question the role of government force in a certain area of life. So, you know, you don't expect the New York Times to actually come up with a solution to draining the swamp. All they're going to do is they're going to complain about the corruption, and they're going to complain about the corruption only when it is a Republican in office. They're not going to complain about it when you've got a Democrat in office. Robin Chatroom, he says, but it's, it's democracy. It's participatory. The more laws we have, the more people get to say, have a say about it. Yeah. You, you know, they always, everyone always says that there ought to be a law. There's some problem. There ought to be a law to solve it. And nobody focuses on whether the particular thing is something that the law should even be doing at all. You know, and, and again, Bastiat was was very eloquent about what happens when you permit the government to take on improper functions and initiate force. Everyone's going to want to have a say in figuring out where that government gun points. Like I said, if you want to call in and talk about this, 760-888-5817 is the number to do so. I'll play devil's advocate to myself a little bit here, okay, because suppose you're a Trump supporter and you say, okay, well, you know, Amy, look at this. Um, One of the things that Trump has been decent at whenever he's been able to get a chance is rolling back regulations. And in fact, what is Lewandowski doing when he's going on the Talking Heads show? He is actually advocating that we eliminate certain sorts of regulations in the economy. So isn't Trump actually somebody who's an ally in this? And while the New York Times, of course, would never want this solution, in fact, we shouldn't look at Lewandowski and look at what he's doing as a species of this sort of corruption because it, you know, it seems when he's advocating, he's advocating for, you know, the abolishment of, of some of these regulations, the uh, the repeal, the scratching of some of these regulations off the books. So isn't that good? And shouldn't we think that maybe Donald Trump is actually capable of draining the swamp because he seems to be doing a lot of this, right? He's, he's getting rid of a lot of regulations. And we could, you know, take a step back. What is regulation, right? What is regulation? I've had some people who were... Uh, you know, criticizing a quotation from Ayn Rand that I put out there on on the bot about regulation. And actually, let me get over to it. I've also got it in the program notes at the website. Again, don'tletitgo.com. I put the tweet in there. So the the one that just happened to come up a couple days ago, coincidentally, for my show, she says, the purpose of law is not to prevent a future offense but to punish the one actually committed, end quote. Now, sometimes people say, well, we need regulations because if we didn't have preventative regulations, then there'd be a bunch of violations of rights that would occur. So we need government to lay down all sorts of codes of conduct for all sorts of business transactions in advance to make sure. Now, there are you know, potentially two different types of regulations. One that, you know, attempts to prevent a real violation of rights. Suppose that happens in the case of some regulations. A lot of regulations 
have nothing to do with a rights violation at all. It's not preventative of a rights violation. It's just telling people how to do their jobs, offer their products, et cetera, you know, what prices and everything else they're allowed to charge, all sorts of things these regulations will do. And th- those have nothing to do with rights violations at all. It's just telling people when they might be permitted to engage in voluntary transactions in the economy. But Rand held, and, and I think it's right, that the purpose of law, again, is not preventative. The only time that the law should come in in advance of a rights violation is where you have objective proof that a rights violation is imminent. And by a rights violation, I mean an initiation of force. I don't mean, for example, uh, one of the things that they were talking about in the Lewandowski piece was so-called payday lenders. There are these payday lenders that will give you a loan and it is an advance on the wages and the idea is that when your payday comes, you're going to end up paying this little loan back. And they're typically offered at very high interest rates, these loans. And a lot of people would say they're, you know, they're usury, it's unfair, you know, they're exploiting people who are in need and how terrible it is. At the same time, these businesses are often taking on a lot of risks. So the high interest rates that they charge for these payday loans reflect the risk that they're taking on. There's a high chance that maybe the loan is not going to be paid back. And so that needs to be accommodated within the pricing scheme that they have for offering their services. People don't have to take these payday loans. If you have a free market in payday loan lenders, you would see a lot of competition and you'd see the interest rate being brought down to as low as the market could bear and people could still make a profit and stay in business, right? You'd see all these things, but nope, the law is going to protect you. There's regulations basically crimping this market and making payday loans, which to some people are very valuable, uh, very helpful, making those loans less available to those who might need them all under the pretense of, of protecting you. You know, the government's going to protect you from these, um, you know, these scavengers, right? The payday lenders. Uh, but none of that is a rights violation that we know of, right? You know, we, a payday lender says, we'll give you this loan. It's at this interest rate. You pay it back when you get paid or, you know, whatever time frame we deem is, in our contract, and you can choose to take or leave that offer, right? Um, it's a contract that's out in the open. All the terms of typical contract law would be adhered to. Otherwise, the contract wouldn't be upheld in court, etc. And yet the law wants to come in, you know, the people who make these regulations, and they're going to protect you from this voluntary agreement that you would like to make. That's what's going on with so many of these regulations. So Trump is in his administration known already for rolling back a lot of regulations. That's something that he has been trying to do. And so then you'd say, okay, well, Amy, you know, he's been trying to do this and Lewandowski is arguing for the rolling back of regulations. So maybe you should go easy on Trump. You should be a Trump supporter because, you know, Trump is is going to do this. What do you think? What do you guys think? Do you think Trump is a beacon of hope in you know, the quest to drain the swamp, that he's truly going to go ahead and drain the swamp 
right? He's going to drain the swamp. He's against regulation. He's showing you that he's against some of the type of power that creates this swamp in the first place. You know, Bastiat pointed at it. Whenever people have this power to regulate, that's when you're going to have all of these lobbyists. And even when you see what you might label as a swamp for Trump, someone like Lewandowski, what is Lewandowski doing? He's going out there and he's advocating for the repeal of regulations. Yeah, it's the repeal of regulations that are going to benefit the clients at his firm, but who knows? You know, maybe he's going to be consistent. What do you think? You guys think Trump can drain the swamp? Yeah? 760-888-5817 if you want. Now, Rob in the chat room is saying he's contradicting himself. I'm still waiting for the day, Rob, that you call and talk to me on this show. You've given me news stories. You gave me that great Amash interview. Thank you. I'm waiting for the day that you'll actually call this show and talk about it. I, of course, you can type here in the chat room. No, no pressure. But how is Trump contradicting himself? How is Trump contradicting himself? Okay, I'm waiting to, to hear from Rob. I, of course, have an answer. I didn't know if anybody would call in, so I had my devil's advocate defense of Trump. And I think I have an answer to it as well. But what do you think, Rob? Now he feels under pressure even in the chat room, right? I said, okay, all I have to do is type an answer in the chat room. Now we... Selfishness is saying Trump is unprincipled. Okay, yes. Ooh, maybe I have a call. Is that you, Rob? Is that actually you? Because of the timing, I'm going to unmute this call here for a second. So this is you who just called in. And you don't want to be on the air. Just be quiet for a sec. Okay. Rob, is this you? Okay. Okay. It's not. It's somebody else who's just listening. So I'm going to go ahead and mute them again, respecting their privacy. We only heard, like, computer sounds. No biggie. Okay, so Rob, I guess, is typing up his answer. Selfishness says Trump is unprincipled, and really that is the answer that I have with this. Yes, Trump is rolling back some regulations, certainly, but there is, as far as I can see, no actual principle behind his choice as to which regulations that they want to roll back and which regulations they don't. There is one article that I saw, I didn't include it in the program notes, but it says that the Justice Department under Sessions is going to start looking at college affirmative action programs. And college affirmative action programs is one way in which government has been using force to pick winners and losers. It's often state governments, right, who are doing this. So University of California system has some sort of affirmative action or quasi-affirmative action. You know, all of these have been challenged in the courts and a lot of them have been watered down. But what the colleges have done now, instead of having a blatant affirmative action program saying, okay, we're going to have a quota of X percentage of this race and X percentage of that race and everything else, they'll use proxies. So they will have affirmative action programs that use low income as a proxy for minority races, Instead, and, and that's the, you know, the one of the factors that they'll use in admissions decisions. 
and they believe, and I think it's actually true. Oh, Rob said that the chat room froze, his browser froze, he had to reload. Okay, so maybe we'll hear a bit from uh, from him on this. Maybe his answer is what is what my answer is, you say, is contradicting himself. You might have something different in mind, but let me know. Um, in any event, they're going after these affirmative action programs. These affirmative action programs, even if they're no longer done on the explicit basis of race, they are still designed to achieve some sort of so-called racial balance in the schools. They want to make sure that people of different skin colors are represented in the proper ratios in our schools because, of course, that improves the quality of education, right? You know, we could talk about the the merits or demerits of that another day, but I trust that most of my audience probably disagree with that idea that merely by skin color, you're, uh, you know, adding somebody in of a different skin tone that you're therefore going to contribute to the quality of education. Oh, you say, okay, well, look, they're going after that. Those are bad things. These affirmative action programs, they use government force to pick winners and losers with respect to college admissions. And, and isn't that awesome? But that is one, just one area of the economy. And there are other places where Trump is perfectly happy to either continue the use of or even initiate the use of government force in order to achieve his ends. Immigration restrictions, build the wall, those are areas where he's happy to introduce government controls that are going to interfere with the ability to engage in free trade in the economy or free, or free movement, things that have nothing to do with rights violations per se, you know, we have the immigration debate again in another show. I've talked about immigration so many times and I get misrepresented so many times as does Yaron Brook, but he's willing to, you know, initiate force in, in that realm. He's willing to continue the initiation of force to a large extent when it comes to healthcare. He is not for a full repeal of Obamacare for example. He's not. Now, you know, he talks about, oh, well, give me a straight repeal and everything else, but he doesn't mean it. He doesn't really want a full repeal. He wants insurers, for example, to continue to cover pre-existing conditions. He wants to make sure that, you know, people aren't left on the street to die and everything else. He's talked about that in his campaign. So he is not for removing government involvement there. He picks and chooses. There's certain areas of the economy where he's happy to repeal the regulations, and then there's other areas of the economy where he's happy to either leave them, and there's other areas still where he's happy to introduce regulations. And maybe you'll say, okay, well, he's got some sort of principle behind his choices. I have yet to see him articulate any clear principle by which he's making this choice. He talked about America first. Uh, what does he mean, America first? As far as I can tell, he means exactly what I've talked about in past shows, which is Trump wants to satisfy the demands of as many people as possible who are in his constituency, the people who are going to vote for him. He wants to satisfy the demands of them as much as he can. There is not a principle behind that because if, you know, again, you dig into your pragmatism, your William James, 
any demand, any demand is as good as any other to a real pragmatist. And I've not seen Trump articulate some sort of distinction, some sort of principle that he would use to make a distinction between the various demands that are presented to him as a politician. These people want this, these people want that. He might say, well, certain things are, quote, good for business or certain things put America first. But, you know, America first, put America first while undermining the principles of America, for example, the principles of individual rights, the principles of free trade and capitalism. No, that's not going to put America first. It's not going to, you know, to, to help America in any way. If you go back to his inaugural address, Trump never articulates the principle on which our country was founded, the principle of individual rights. It sounds like a list of promises of all the demands of the various groups that he's going to satisfy. That's what his inaugural address looks like. So what's the upshot? The upshot is I don't think that Trump Trump is capable of draining the swamp. The New York Times certainly doesn't want the swamp drained. The New York Times wants the government to continue to have power to protect the little guy, achieve some sort of egalitarian utopia. There's various shades of New York Times editors' utopian dreams, but certainly all of those shades are inconsistent with a true draining of the swamp because, again, you cannot drain the swamp unless you eliminate the government's power to pick winners and losers, to point its gun at people without there having been any violation of rights on the parts of of those people. So I don't think Trump can do it. He does not operate on the principle of individual rights. Yeah, he's definitely worked to get rid of some regulations, but there's no clearly articulated principle that he's used to choose which ones, and he's certainly not for getting rid of all of them. He's for getting rid of some, maintaining some, introducing others, like all politicians are. So those of you who defend Trump as the guy who's going to drain the swamp, first of all, it doesn't seem to be really happening. And as I said, whatever you want to say about Lewandowski, and Lewandowski is in favor of getting rid of regulations and everything else, Trump himself has no principle by which he chooses regulations to get rid of. Uh, Suppose he said, well, okay, I'm in favor of getting rid of all regulations. This would be the dream Trump, right? The dream Trump is in favor of getting rid of all regulations. He says, I realize, you know, I've been converted. I read the Ayn Rand bot, you know, I'm on Twitter. And finally I came across the Ayn Rand bot and I agree. The purpose of the law is not to prevent a future offense, but to public, you know, punish the one actually committed. I'm in favor of restricting government to the use of retaliatory force. Suppose Trump says this, but he says, We have to phase out all of these regulations. You can't just do it all at once. I can't just sign an executive order and say all the regulations are gone. In fact, you know, he has been trying to get rid of repeal a whole lot of regulations, scratch them from the books, just not enforce them. And he has faced challenges in the courts about this. It's very hard to do this. So, you know, suppose he says, okay, it's hard to do this. I'm facing challenges in the courts. And besides You have to do this in a systematic way. And suppose he laid it out and said, okay, I can only get rid of these regulations here and these ones here right now. And then, you know, the next president could do this, 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 and puts a plan. I'd be okay with that. 
I'd be fine. We have not heard at all such a thing. As far as we know, it's entirely arbitrary. It's entirely based on people like Lewandowski telling Trump who the squeakiest wheel is, right? You've heard the phrase, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease. Lewandowski is telling Trump who is the squeakiest wheel, who is the one who is likely to make sure that he gets reelected in 2020. Rob Abiera says in the chat room, the dream Trump would be principled. Yeah. I mean, the dream Trump would have a principle and, and he would, insofar as he's departing from principle, he would articulate why. So for example, and I was kind of disappointed in this, look at Amash. Amash is one of the better politicians today. And I encourage you to go ahead and read that whole interview that Rob sent me. It's in the program notes. Uh, Rob was you know, speaking with Reason Magazine. And I mean, not Rob, sorry, Justin Amash was speaking with Reason Magazine. Thanks, Rob, for the article. What he was saying about all of these various bills to potentially repeal and replace Obamacare is that some of them are just marginally better than Obamacare. And if I read him correctly, and I think I did, he said that, yeah, he would support a bill that's only marginally better than Obamacare. And to me, that's really sad. Now, one thing I did like from him is that he said he hadn't bothered to read any particular bill that was coming from the Senate. There was some bill that they asked him, did you read this bill? And he said, no, I haven't read it because I had no indication that it was actually going to pass and get to me. And he says, why well, read the bill? And then that one's not going to pass. And then there's going to be a whole nother one, right? So he's waiting to see which bill is actually relevant to him, the one that he's going to be asked to consider as a member of the House of Representatives after it comes from the Senate. Uh, so I, I like that. But in terms of him saying, look, as a politician, you're going to end up supporting a really yucky bill that's only marginally better than Obamacare simply because it is. He was, he was saying that's kind of the reality. Okay, you can accept that at least, but you know nonetheless that Amash is doing that. He believes at least, and we could argue about strategy, but he, he believes he's doing that in the service of furthering long-term implementation of principle. He is very strongly in favor of limitation of government, and he says in the article that he thinks Obamacare should be repealed 100% and that the Republicans have made a mistake ever introducing the idea of a replacement or of keeping parts of Obamacare. As soon as they started talking about, for, and he mentioned specifically the requirement to ensure those with pre-existing conditions, he says this is a whole mistake that introduced this idea of accepting bills that were substandard. So, um, you know, you can, you can have an example in Amash, if you read Amash, maybe you think he's not 100% perfect, but he's an example of the type of politician who could articulate what you can realistically do in a political environment when you're trying to act on principle and what sort of lines you would draw. You'd say, okay, I would support a bill that does this, but I wouldn't support something that does that and, and, and everything else. I don't see that we're going to get anything like draining the swamp from Trump. Why? Because he has not articulated any sort of set of operating principles in this regulation sphere. 
along the lines of the, you know, the type of explaining that Amash does. I've seen Ted Cruz also explain what sorts of decisions he makes in a political environment while he's trying to implement principles and, and further principles that protect our rights. Never see anything like that from Trump. So I don't, I don't see, I don't see how you're going to drain the swamp. The New York Times uh, certainly has no right to complain about the swamp because the New York Times is not in favor of draining the swamp. The New York Times would never advocate, even to the extent that Trump does, the rolling back of regulations and government power that they are doing. Yeah, so that is sad. Now, where are we going, right? What happens when you don't drain the swamp? What happens when you don't limit the government's power to point the gun at people and tell them how they should behave in an economy, which is what all of these regulations are doing? You end up destroying the economy. And of course, the end of the road is Venezuela. The end of the road is Venezuela. I've got a piece. This is just an example of the stuff that's coming out lately. If you go on Twitter, you know, I don't know when I see things on Twitter what to believe and what to not. I, I don't end up forwarding it because I don't know the provenance of the videos and things that you see. So there's my disclaimer. But this, some of the videos that I have seen going around Facebook and then also on Twitter show the government in Venezuela initiating force against demonstrators in the streets. You know, the demonstrators are increasingly coming under all sorts of violence. Any person who poses political opposition in Venezuela now, these people have been kidnapped and taken away in the middle of the night. We've seen pleas from members of the family to send the word out that this is going on. There's been talk of a complete, uh, you know, basically... Elimination of free elections, a sham vote in Venezuela. On Sunday, the President Maduro claimed victory. They had a referendum that was designed to rewrite the Constitution and confer on him dictatorial powers. The opposition boycotted it, um, but they are trying to say that, yeah, the people actually voted for this. He claimed victory in this election. This is all going on in Venezuela. Now you say, okay, well, you know, we're not for that here in the United States. This is our country's never going to turn into Venezuela because that's the extreme people who are really in favor of socialism and we're not in favor of socialism here. I'll just give you a couple of snippets of things that are going on due to government controls of the economy, due to regulations in the economy, regulations that someone like Trump is not going to be getting rid of anytime soon. And again, he's picking and choosing. I think he's picking and choosing based on who's the squeakiest wheel. It's the same old cronyism. It's the same old swamp that's guiding his decisions, even if he happens to be, you know, for example, repealing more regulations than somebody else. In repealing the regulations, he's probably doing favors for certain sectors over other sectors. So it looks like he's for freedom, but in the grand balance of things, maybe he's really messing things up. Headline from a Washington Post op-ed. Thanks, Tim Sandifer, for this. Sobering news for $15 minimum wage boosters. 
says evidence-based policymaking is a hot concept in government these days, but politicians still often draft legislation or propose regulations based on what they think voters will like, right? Based on demand. And then they say, not the public interest is demonstrated by objective data. Yeah, for me, I'm not in favor of the so-called public interest either. You know, what they're saying is you should be for a utilitarian utopia, which probably coincides a lot of times with free market solutions. Uh, but those of us, you know, probably people who are listening to this show, you believe in individual rights, not in whatever is going to be the greatest good for the greatest number of the so-called public interest, if you could put a finger on it. Um, what the editorial board here is criticizing, they're saying, oh, it's just what people will like, not the public interest. Then they say there's been mev- uh, members of the city council in Montgomery County. Um, and it's Montgomery County where? I don't know exactly. Montgomery County Executive. They say they're, the, the county council is going to raise the minimum wage from the current 11.50 per hour to 15 per hour. Mr. Leggett vetoed a bill that was passed on a five to four vote that would have raised the minimum wage. He cited cost increases and the negative impact. However, advocates of the $15 minimum, they're trying again because they have this council member who is introducing a bill that's slightly addressed, uh, slightly adjusted to address some of the concerns. Now the veto message called for an objective economic study and The proponents, they say they should have waited for the results of the study because here's the results of the study. So the question is, what would a $15 minimum wage do if it was imposed? So they had a Philadelphia-based consulting firm, and they said that the higher wage would yield benefits for low-wage workers who received it in the form of reduced stress, greater food security, better mental health. Employers could benefit from the workers' improved morale. However, there would be offsetting costs, and they would be substantial. A loss of almost 47,000 jobs and $396.5 million in total income by 2022 due to workers being priced out of the job market by the higher minimum wage. So this would spell a reduction of nearly $41 million in expected county tax revenue. And the county's government payroll costs would go up to $10 million. So the county would in- face increased costs and reduced revenue as well as everybody else. Results of similar experiments elsewhere in the country should also give the boosters more pause than it does team of economists at University of Washington recently found that the low-income workers across all businesses in Seattle lost an average of $125 a month because of reduced hours or job loss. So the evidence shows that there is a loss of overall wealth, a loss of overall productivity, the loss of the ability to sustain human life when you impose a regulation like a $15 minimum wage, some evidence. Uh, The other, just, you know, again, you just have to pick from all the myriad of regulations that there are out there in the economy. These are two that have just been in the headlines recently. This one here for California, Anthem, the insurance company, medical insurance company, Anthem is leaving Southern California 
Why? Because health insurance rates are set to rise 13% in 2018. This is the same that it's been doing every single year since Obamacare has been enacted. Vast increases in health insurance rates. I myself, I've had to downgrade my policy and still pay more each year since Obamacare has been enacted. And this just lets you know, you know, so what is happening? There are going to be fewer choices in purchasing health insurance for people who live in Southern California, thanks to Obamacare. Less choice. Another insurer goes out of the market. And you can look all over the country and see similar stories. And we're going to see more and more stories like this as we get closer to the end of the year. And we're seeing what insurers are going to stay online for 2018. Anthem, huge, huge insurer, huge established insurer in Southern California, entirely gone because of Obamacare. And is Trump really for a full repeal of Obamacare? No, he's not. He wants that. In the chat room, we've got Rob. Um, Rob says, I recently got sucked in by a story on a Facebook page that I thought I could trust. I, I try to be very careful. There are obviously actual videos of what's going on in the ground in Venezuela. And it's obviously some horrific things that are going on. I saw one article, you know, people in our government, people in our state department are in denial that that election was stolen, that there was no actual free ballot for changing the constitution and handing Maduro, you know, dictatorial powers. Our state department won't admit that. And there was a horrible quote from some representative of the State Department that would make you just throw up if you heard it. Rob says, Trump does have a principle, loyalty to him. Yeah, perhaps so, right? We've got the kind of musical chairs going on in his administration, which is almost getting comical. How long did that Scarmucci guy hold his position for like a week or something? I'm not even sure if he held it enough time for me to talk about him on a show in between. That's how short it was. Kind of, kind of funny. Craig says almost all Americans are Marxists in the philosophical sense, including Trump. He says, but Americans are too ignorant and dishonest to accurately name their ideas. Yeah. He says, just like Venezuela, except Venezuelans are more self-aware and honest. <sighs> Luke in the chat room. Yeah, Obamacare is really working well. Yeah, Obamacare was designed to do exactly this, right? It was designed to achieve consolidation in the health insurance industry until the government had to take it over because, of course, whoever the last insurer standing on the so-called market as it exists, the last insurer standing is eventually going to go bankrupt too, and it's going to be too big to fail and has to be bailed out. And when it's bailed out, it's going to be controlled by government. So there's that mechanism and then the other thing that Obamacare had in it, you might think it's almost more of a Trojan horse mechanism, but it was the Medicaid expansion that people like Kasich so eagerly embraced, this Medicaid expansion. It quickly put a whole bunch of more people onto the single-payer rolls, so to speak. So, yes, another step toward a single-payer system because... Anthem will be out of the market. So Southern California is 
looking less and less attractive all the time, right? The people's state, as those of us who are here are called. Um, Lucas says, Scaramucci held the post long enough to get his divorce. Yeah. Oy, what a sad story. What a sad story. I, I understand that Iran did enough of a rant against Scaramucci. I don't have to say too much, but I did tend to think that his blatant, just overt use of profanity was not befitting someone in a presidential administration and that this was an extension of the what I used to talk about. I used to talk about with Obama, nihilism with respect to the office of president. There's a lot of things that Obama did that were undignified. There was this um, White House press thing they have every year. Uh, you know, they have this fancy dinner and I think people sort of roast Obama and he talks and stuff and it's all this, everybody tries to laugh. And there was something where like Obama was backstage and you're hearing him and you're hearing like a toilet flush or something as if like you're hearing Obama in the bathroom. It was horrible. This is the kind of example. And I, I put what Scaramucci did in, in that sort of uh, category. Yeah. So 11 days. So probably, you know, he had the office for a few days and then he started making noise. And I remember posting about it, but I don't remember having the opportunity to talk about it on a show. And then here's my next show and he's already gone. So um, Jay in the chat room talking more about Trump and his choices, Trump pulling us out of the Paris climate agreement. Why? No, there's no principle that we'd like to hear, but America first, you know, what does it mean? Uh, Freedom Breeze, she's back on here in the chat room. Welcome back to the chat room. Feel free if you want to call in anybody who wants to, to talk about this. If you do, if you're waiting on the switchboard and you want to talk, you press the little one key and I'll go ahead and unmute you. Obamacare says selfishness will guarantee unprincipled, unprincipled doctors, et cetera. I mean, we know what the end of the road is for that, right? The end of the road is heartbreaking stories like Charlie Gard. Lucas says on Paris and energy in general, there, at their least, uh, Trump is doing something positive for the country, maybe just because he's going against what the Democrats in power did before him. But getting out of the Paris and the Green Fund is a good thing, he thinks. Of course it's good. And I'm willing to say that a number of the things that he's been doing are good. But what I'm saying is because there's no principle behind what he's doing, that really I think he's doing it just to satisfy the demands of the squeakiest wheels, then therefore he is not capable of draining the swamp because all he's doing is encouraging people to be squeaky wheels. He's encouraging the sort of corruption that Bastiat warned about centuries ago. And he did it so eloquently, and nobody got the message. New York Times certainly doesn't want to hear it. If you are for getting government out of a certain area of the economy, especially some area they think is vital, healthcare, education, whatever, suddenly you're a racist or, or something else horrible. The person who's online has said maybe a question or comment. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? This is Richard Chartrand. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Um, good. So, uh, sorry, I was on the line a while ago. I didn't realize that hit one. I just realized that. But just a, my my quick comment is I think sometimes people defend Trump because um, 
if I can make examples of the book, in the Fountainhead, who was the fella who uh, ran the newspaper who married Dominic? I'm forgetting his name. Gail Wyman. Gail Wyman, that's the one. So, you know, I've heard people say, you know, that people who defend Trump, they think he's Howard Rourke, and they say, no, he's more like Orrin Boyle. I would say he's probably closer to Gail Wynan. Mm, I don't think he's as even as good as Gail Wynan. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But I think that, you know, how Howard somehow related to and how people probably liked uh, Gail Wynan more than they liked Edward Toohey in the book, sure. I think that might be why some people will go towards Trump versus Hillary or, or Obama. And I think what you're saying, is he a beacon of anything or is he going to drain the swamp? I agree, absolutely not. But I think that some of what he's doing is like Gil Wine and there's no principles or whatnot behind it. But there's a certain, somewhere in there, there's a sense of life. But just as Gil Wine, you know, was the, you know, Howard Rourke said he was like the worst second-hander of all in the end. And Dominic, you know, the principles weren't there. They haven't heard him. They haven't spelled them out in their own minds yet you know would he listen if he had it maybe but i just don't think he's there but just my point being that that i think the appeal that he has to some people is he's probably the best of a bad lot uh at this point in time and that that really remains to be seen right that really remains to be seen whether he is the the best of a bad lot absolutely Mm -hmm. I, i guess i should say he he appears he appears we people are where I am, and I'm a Canadian watching from a distance. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, you know, he appears to potentially have the potential, like say he's done some good things, but yeah, he scares the hell out of me too because he has no principle and he could turn on a dime and go the other way. Just like, you know, I wouldn't. Gail Winan would be a scary guy to have in power, even though I'd probably vote for him between before Edwin Tuohy, if those right. were my only two choices. Right. right. And the thing about Tui is I think he would have the principles. He he knew exactly where he was coming from and what he was doing. Um, so, so, and that would be scary. So that that's it. There's just a, qu- a quick comment. I'm in a loud place here. You can tell, so I won't uh, stand the line too long. But no, thanks for, thanks for calling. And as far as I know, you're a first time caller. So I thank you for taking the, the plunge and, and calling in and hopefully we'll hear from you again. I'm going to go ahead and, Mute you back again. Um, if I, yeah, okay, now my computer's working, I think. Here we go. It was a little bit slow there. Uh, yeah, so thanks, Richard, for calling. Now, let's look here because I'm having a little discussion in the chat room between Luca and Jay. He says the other important aspect of Trump moving forward will be to see if and how the relationships with the UN will change. I very much hope so, but I am not holding my breath. Is I am no frog and cannot breathe in the swamp. Uh, as I said, we're still seeing the proliferation and the thriving of the various species of flora and, and fauna in the swamp, at least according to New York Times. And, and again, whatever you might try to say in, in defense of what they're saying about Lewandowski, because there's no principle in operation behind the repealing and and eliminating of these regulations it's just the squeakiest wheel and that just invites more of the same cronyism the same corruption that we've seen in the past 
Jay says, if there's no principle behind the Paris Agreement, pull out the opportunity to educate the public from the bully pulpit is totally lost. Therefore, there'd be no improvement in the thinking of our culture, right? And this is this is one thing that he should do, right? If Trump is truly for the elimination of government regulation, he would have to articulate some principle as to why that is, not just America first and we need to get our economy going. Those are not principles, right? We need to have the, you know, the principle of individual rights in particular, because that's the proper principle to, to, you know, run government. I had some people say, well, the only answer is to get rid of government entirely. And, And I'm sorry, I'm not there. I'm not an anarchist. I think that a government properly limited to its proper function of protecting individual rights is the way to go. But we are such a long way from that. One of the best people that we see in government now who seems to be in favor of that is Amash. And like I said, I, I urge you to go ahead and read that interview with him. One of the things that he talks about in the interview, and it's in the headline, is the two-party system needs to die you know he he says increasingly the parties first of all the parties are shrinking that the largest sector of our voting population is in fact independent doesn't consider themselves really to be a member of either party and as a result the rhetoric from each of the parties is getting to be sort of more extreme and he says uh, and but it's partisan it's not principled it's partisan And, um, you know, you've got each party only policing the corruption of the other one. So you're not seeing, for example, now Republican Congress going after any corruption in the Trump administration the way that you should. There's all this horrible stuff that happens because of the party system. He says, I don't need a party. Um, It used to be that you needed a party in order for people to know what you stood for. And now he can just go out on social media and say, hey, these are the things that I stand for. Vote for me or don't vote for me. And we shall see. I would, I would like to, to see that. Um, now, Craig in the chat room is probably skeptical of people like Amash. He says, no one who operated on principle could ever win a high office in the U.S. Americans would reject any principle person. So my question for you is, do you like Amash? Do you think Amash is promising as I see him to be? I see him as promising. Apparently, Trump wants to have him primaried. That's not surprising because he's been a vocal critic of of trump but um yeah highly recommended check that out you can see some of the thinking behind a better politician there is some discussion in there about foreign policy because reason has i think a bit of an isolationist foreign policy agenda and i kind of skipped over that stuff i was more interested in his approach to obamacare and also uh, I was interested in, in the headline, which is this two-party system stuff, why the two-party system is, is failing and that it actually needs to. He says, Craig in the chat room says, Amash is the exception that proves the rule. Well, it's good to hear that you actually like him. I, I think you don't like Cruz as much as I liked Cruz, but it's it's good to see that we have a, a politician who's, who's fairly principled there. So I don't see any other callers. It's a little bit after the top of the hour. And I told you, I'm going to cut this show off a bit early. I think I'm going to go ahead and and zoom. Um, That is really what I had to say today. I had to say that, yeah, sure. Go ahead. New York times expose the continued swamp. I'm perfectly happy to see that because I am for criticizing Trump 
either where he does wrong things or where he does things that fail to live up to his campaign promises or both, preferably. Here he has promised to drain the swamp. We're seeing evidence that the swamp is not drained. And regardless of what you say uh, of you know what Lewandowski happens to be advocating for, which in the case of some of the examples in the article was for the repealing of regulations, this is not being done on principle. It's being done on purchasing pull with the government. I'm not seeing that Trump is that much better than anybody else, and I don't see any promise for the, the swamp being drained. I don't see that the New York Times wants to drain the swamp. Whenever you want to get government out of the economy, the New York Times thinks you're a racist or some sort of horribly immoral person otherwise. And um, you know what do you have to do to really drain the swamp? You have to actually be for a limited government restricted to the purpose of protecting individual rights. You need to take away, as Bastiat was talking about, you need to take away the power of government to tell people what they should do with their property or with their liberty or with any of the exercise of any of their other rights. If government is picking winners and losers, if government is telling you how to live your life when you're not violating anybody else's rights, if government is doing that, then there's always going to want to, there's always going to be people who want to control how government does that, where government points his gun next. Everyone's going to want to have that power. And that's all you're seeing in, in the front page. We're not going to see anything different until we take that power away from government. Some of you are saying, okay, we have to eliminate government entirely. I am not at that place. I think that we can have a government that is eliminate, excuse me, that is limited not eliminated, limited to the principle of individual rights, to upholding individual rights and retaliating when they are violated only. That's what we want to see government doing. If we have a government that does that, I think it is a necessary good to use the phrase that Ankar Gatte has so effectively used in, in the past. So that's what I had to say. I'm going to let you guys go. I left you with a funny little song. I still don't really know what most of the song means. I imagine that the French part that I don't understand is probably as silly as the chorus that I do understand. Chaos of Myself is the title of the song. And it's just, it's just kind of silly. It's catchy. I think you might enjoy it as a little dance song. Um, I don't even think it's worth necessarily trying to translate it's it's happy for me to go around in ignorance about this song but for me right now when I have to go worry about how I'm going to look on tv and stuff I feel a little bit a uh, little bit in chaos right so I'll, I'll go ahead and throw it under that kind of umbrella that I've got to think about not only what content I make for you guys but how I'm going to actually look on tv and all that stuff it's a whole new world so I'll see you guys on Sunday. I will post on social media, so follow me. Um, I'll probably make a post on my blog as well at don'tletitgo.com when I know more about the appearance, what the topic is, just to remind you guys to tune in. And I'll talk to you next week here. It's 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific on Wednesdays at Block Talk Radio. Okay? Take care. Thank you. <laughs>